You're listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Dane. Welcome back to another episode of Reach Teach Talk. I am thrilled today to talk about, well, before I actually introduce my guest, um, I actually had a really rough morning this morning, and uh, I had to. I had a meeting that I was really had to prepare for, and it was a conference call in New York. I'm in LA right now, and I was totally scattered, and my computer printer wasn't working, and I couldn't print out the notes for this meeting, and you know the coffee wasn't brewing right, and I was running out of the house to get to this studio, but knowing that I had to have this meeting in the car, and I get interrupted by this woman who's walking her dog right in front of my house, saying. You know, there's a big puddle in front of your house right now, and she pointed, and there was there was a puddle in front of my house. It's true, and it covered about half the sidewalk block. And uh, she's like, "I need to take care of this." And I was only thinking about getting in the car and getting this meeting and having the the, the meeting in the car while I was driving to my next meeting, which is this, yay. Um, and and feeling interrupted by the fact there was a puddle. Oh my gosh! And it's Los Angeles, and I understand that water is a big deal and moisture. But um, you know, could it have come at a different time? Yes. Could I have handled it better? I'm sure I could have because then I get behind the wheel and all that to say. And I'm breathing from here, not here. All that to say, I needed a break. I I needed a mental break because I could tell that even though it was a beautiful, sunshiny morning, it's already 78 degrees and sunny, and it's November. Um, the month of gratitude, supposedly, uh, I needed to take a breath and uh, I needed to open up and and I tried. And in the car, I was breathing from my stomach and I was trying to just center myself. But all that to say, it was a perfectly fitting, fitting way to begin this podcast episode because I'm honored to have the founder and CEO of Unplug Meditation here with me today. Uh, for those who don't know, and I'll let Susie explain what Unplug is, Unplug Meditation has two brick-and-mortar studios in Los Angeles, and they also, though, have an app that broadcasts anybody around the world can use when they need a timeout, like I needed this morning. And uh, without much further ado, I want it, but, well, actually, with further ado, before I introduce Susie, I want to also just kind of give the layout of what this talk will be about today, which is about the power of meditation. And mindfulness is a term that we've been hearing a lot in schools in the past five, 10 years for sure, and with good reason, because brain studies, brain research is explaining how areas of the brain light up when we have applied intention and when we are able to focus on nothing and by and also gain something in return. And um, so that's the application here, and that's why I thought, oh my gosh, to have Susie come on the show. Um, would be just incredible. So welcome, Susie Schwartz. Thank you. Founder and CEO of Unplug Meditation, mom of three sons, uh, and a New Yorker moved to L.A. about a decade plus ago. Yes. So we're very, very happy to have you here. I'm us. so excited to be here. I'm excited to be on your show, Yay. and this is such a cool space, and have Mike producing. This is cool. I'm <laughs> Thank in. you, producer Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike with the mics. Um, so, Susie, maybe a great way to start off would just be: What's your background in this? Did you grow up in, in a family that valued meditation? Did you have you been, you know, did you did you find yourself on many retreats and then decide, hey, I want to start this? What's your background? Could not be further than who I am. Um, I I'm going to just start with. After college, I became a fashion editor working at Vogue, Elle Marie Claire, and I was a glamour for about 14 and a half years. And my husband said, 
let's move to Los Angeles. He always wanted to move here. I never did. He said, don't you want an adventure? And when he said that, I thought, you know what? Let's give him this decade. I had a great decade, two decades. Now let's make this about him. He had a great job offer. So we moved out to LA and I decided to set the three boys up with school and kind of help them as they transitioned and he started his new job. And I was so stressed out. I've never not worked. Um, I didn't work for six months. And I finally went back to work about six months in and I was traveling back and forth between New York and LA doing taxi TV commercials inside of New York City taxis. Wait, so you, you were you were the face behind, like when you're in a New York City cab, you've got the screens yes. and she, you you were reading the news or you were No, no, I was doing commercials for Lord and Taylor. Oh, I was gosh. kind of helping them as creative director and producing these commercials and I was the face. So I did something like, "Hey you, what shoes are you wearing? Uh, taxi, take us to Lord and Taylor." And then <laughs> and I would make these funny things like turn my head and have them go. And I was stressed out because I left my kids in Los Angeles with my husband who had just started this new job and I didn't really have backup. I did not feel good about it. And my mother-in-law had come to visit me in New York and she said, you really, you need to breathe. I'm like, okay, show me how to do it. So she's a psychotherapist. She taught me a three-minute breathing exercise and afterwards I felt 100% better. And I said, what is that? And she said, it's called meditation. You should learn how to do it. And I said, okay, great. So when I went back to LA to try to find a place to meditate, I realized that it was a commitment. So it was either a six-week program at UCLA. Um, there was not one drop-in meditation studio. It did not exist in the world. Not and this just is how LA. many years ago? This is only 2012. Wow, not even 10 years ago. Okay. So no. I said to Mark, my husband, I'm going to quit my job and open up a meditation studio. And he said, you know, you should learn how to meditate first. I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn how to meditate. I'm going to open up this thing. You'll see. It's going to be huge. And he's like, okay, here's how much money we can lose. I'm like, okay. So I went hard. And yeah, and I opened up Unplugged, the world's first drop-in meditation studio. And that's how it all began. And the world's first drop-in meditation studio was opened about four years, five years? Five and a half years Five and a half years ago. I opened it on tax day because I thought people would be stressed out that day, April 2014. Good thinking. I love a couple of things you were saying there that stand out to me is, one, your husband saying, okay, I think you need to learn how to meditate before you build a studio, which says so much about you and your drive. And when you have an idea, just go with it. Oh, wait, you know, I'm going to run a pizza company, but I don't have any dough in the fridge to make pizza with. Uh, it's So taking a step and in and, and the cart before the horse. But also, um, it only took, it was a three-minute breathing exercise. Yeah. That was it. It was yep. three minutes that your mother-in-law uh, said, you know, advise you to do. And that's all it took for you to kind of feel. So it's, it is something where one can meditate and not have it be, you know, this obligation hour plus long. Like you can do this maybe even in the car, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's three minutes. Yes. Right? Uh, and the power is. It's life altering. In what, like how, how, what is. So what is, yeah. here's the thing. It is, the problem is meditation has a bad rap. People think it's hard. People think I can't do it because I think too much or I can't sit still or I have no time. And all of those excuses are excuses. They're not real. The truth is, is we all think you can't turn your brain off in meditation. That's the number one barrier for most people. Is but isn't, they, that, isn't that what you're told to do? Well, it depends who's teaching you. So we tell people that meditation is a dance. It's a dance between your mind wandering with the fifty to 80,000 thoughts that you have every single day and you coming to the present moment. 
and just being in the present moment. And it's it's like a ping pong game. Your mind wanders, you come back. Your mind wanders, come back. And that's why you hear begin again. You're constantly beginning again because your mind will constantly wander. And if it doesn't, that means you're flatlining and you're dead. Right, right. So for us, meditation kind of works like a bicep curl. When your mind wanders and you stop to notice how it's wandering and make the conscious decision to come to this moment, breathe slow. Oh, there I go planning dinner again. Breathe slow. Oh, there I am worrying about my kids again. Breathe slow. It's a bicep curl that you actually do for your brain that changes the physical structure of your brain. So we have, let's just simplify it. And I'm not a scientist, and you can watch Sarah Lazar, who is a Harvard neuroscientist. Her TED Talk is genius, and we put it on the Unplug website under Scientific Facts. But what she says is there's really two parts of the brain. There's the prefrontal cortex, which is executive decision-making, focus, compassion. And there's the amygdala, which is fight or flight. Okay? So what happens in meditation is the more your mind wanders and the more conscious you are about it and making the conscious choice to come to this present moment, that bicep curl, you actually build your prefrontal cortex and the gray matter there. So you build Focus, memory, compassion, executive decision-making. And you shrink fear, anxiety, stress, and fight or flight. That is, I've never heard it framed that way, Susie. The idea that you're actually building and uh, weakening. Like yeah. you're building in the areas that you want to build, that one would want to, right? They're executive mm -hmm. functioning areas. You know, just how you make decisions, as you said, with clarity, with more clarity, with more ability to um, analyze right mm -hmm. but at the same time you're shrinking and this is you have fmri studies that 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 you can that see the before and after on her ted talk i mean the shrinking of the fear and the increasing of the decision making just actually to me it sounds very strength back to the bicep curl but in a different way it sounds like you're strengthening you're becoming stronger as a thinker because if you're eliminating the insecurity and the fear because look we're not we're not in the savannah anymore we're not being chased by lions we are fortunately not um so a lot of that fear that comes from amygdala is you can disregard. But we are conditioned over 10,000 years of being humans on the planet to, um, to have this fear, this sensation of fear, even if it's irrational. So I love that idea of like the, the fear part decreasing, the executive functioning part increasing. That, makes, that to me clarifies what, my, what meditation can do in a way that I've never thought of before. Well, I'm going to actually take it to the next level, too. You ready for this? I think I'm open to it. At age 25, for those of you who can watch this, some of you can't, I'm making a fist, um, because your brain is fully developed at 25. Is this and your brain? This is your brain, the fist. Okay. Fully developed at age 25. That makes me feel very um, disappointed. Every year after that, <laughs> guess what happens? It starts to decrease. Oh. It gets weaker, 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 weaker. Yeah. So what Sarah Lazar did was she basically took 50-year-old non-meditators and had them do a program where they meditated every single day for eight weeks for 28 minutes a day. And she took a before and after shot of their brain. Just 20 she, minutes a day, sorry, just eight, 20 minutes a day. minutes a day. Okay, 28 minutes a day. It's not a big commitment. It's right. 28 minutes a day, half an hour. Eight weeks. Eight weeks. And you can watch the whole thing on her TED Talk. But she then measured their brains eight weeks later and found that they were as sharp as the 25-year-old brain. So why is everybody not doing this? I have no idea. 
This is anti-aging. Yes. Well, telomeres. And there's a whole study on all of these things. And you can read more about it. Actually, we wrote about it in the Unplug book. So Unplug, a simple guide for meditations for skeptics. and Fantastic. I wish we had a copy of it right here. I'd love to show it up here. So there's a book, Unplug book. You can get on Amazon or whatever. And we simplify all the science. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. This was easy to to comprehend. Well, I mean, this conversation is making it very easy to comprehend for a non-scientist like me. Okay. Wow. So let's let's think about this because what you're talking about really is a um, a uh, uh, weakening of irrational fear, a centering of one's body, of one's sense of place, in one's in, in a looking within, and a in an acceptance of one's thoughts. It's not pushing them away. Is what I'm hearing from you, right? No. It's accept. Being aware of them. Be aware. And making a conscious decision to not sit down and have a cup of tea with them. Very nice. Very nice. That's Johnny O'Callaghan taught me that one. I love that. But I love that. He's like, we don't have to have a cup of tea with every thought that we have. That's awesome. Well, as as you said, fifty to 80,000 thoughts a day is is quite a lot of cups of tea, right? Right. Um, That's a lot of caffeine, actually. It probably wouldn't help with the the, the centeredness. But And the last thing is the, the, the strengthening of executive functioning. So... Let's think about kids growing up today. Mm-hmm. You have three sons yes. who have grown up post iPhone introduction, right? Yes. Definitely post, you know, what was it? Uh, Friendster to MySpace to Facebook, <laughs> and now it's TikTok, Snapchat. Right. Like everything is getting quicker, quicker. Da, 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 da. Right. Um, what would you say for schools that are considering putting in mindfulness practices like yours into their classroom? What benefits would come out of of this, uh, you know, this inclusion? Right. Well, we actually have partnered with this woman. Um, Her name is Catherine Nelson. And I met her through Dr. Robin Berman, who introduced me, who is going to be a guest on your show pretty soon. I I would hope so. She's also a voice. (laughs) Permission to She's also in uh, Time to Use, Time to Reach. Uh, There's a great quote from Robin. Okay. So we met Catherine and we started sending teachers to the school which is 107 and it's a very troubled school the kids have a really hard time they come from difficult homes some of them and it's just they're underfunded it's a public school and she loved the program it was changing lives just helping not only the kids but the teachers as well so we decided she said you know I really love the app I would love to have the app for the school so now she has a place when the kids are acting up they come into the principal's office and they put headphones on and they listen to the meditations we have a whole series of kids meditations by um, Susan Kaiser Greenland who wrote um, she's unbelievable she's a legend she's like the mother of kids mindfulness Um, The Mindful Child, she wrote Mindful Games. So she's taught a series on there. And someone that she trained, Lori Cousins, also taught a series on there. So they listen to these kids' meditations. And whether it's just putting a stuffed animal on their stomach and watching it rise and fall or imagining their feelings or like a balloon that then rises to the sky and disappears, you know, it's helping them. I love the idea of going to the principal's office when I think about when I, when I rarely went to uh, the principal's office for doing something um, inappropriate when I was a kid, you know, the first person I, I, I would actually be happy to go there, frankly, because the secretary was just one of the kindest women I've ever, you know, she was just lovely and she was always unconditionally just warm. However, if I knew that I was going to go and put a, have a set of headphones planted on me and be required to sit and just, you know, think, just or not think, just meditate for five minutes, 
that would, I think that that kind of process, and I'm thinking also as a principal, um, that that process could be so effective because talk about disarming and you, and talk about also the idea that, you know, you come to this office to be disciplined for an action that or behavior that's inappropriate and mm-hmm. that's, you know, but you're a human being and before we have a discussion, I'm thinking in the principal's shoes, before I have a discussion with a student, for me to know that that student has had five minutes to reflect through meditation, I would imagine the substance of my conversation with that kid would be so much deeper and so much more, um, frankly, proactive um, afterwards. Well, she loves it so much that she really wants one in every single classroom, and we're working on getting that for her. But more important than that is there is this concept of circle time that they do have in kindergarten. And I dream of the day, and I genuinely believe this is the future of education and it will be a fact, that kids will have little moments of mindfulness prior to starting their day. Whether it is that they set an intention of their not to-do list, but their to-be list. How do I want to be today? Because when you set an intention first thing in the morning, not only does it make your whole day go slower, but you genuinely and often actually achieve the intention that you set. I set intentions every day. This sounds like the secret. This sounds like, you know, it's if you kind of manifesting. Yes, but I but that's the difference. This is not me setting an intention to crush it. This is me setting an intention to ripple out kindness, to ripple out positivity. Because I know if I go to work and I'm in a grouchy mood, everybody's going down with me. But if I go to work and I'm in a positive mood, my positive energy impacts everybody in the room. Everybody's in a good mood. We all do much better. And the day is a success. So I want to clarify, intentions are often thought as you know, people setting goals. This is not the intention I envision for kids. The intention is how they want to be, how they want to show up. I love that. It's it's different than a kid saying, "Okay, I want to get all A's on my report card." You yeah. know, and I'm gonna have. But that works too, by the way. <laughs> it, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. But on a on a. And I could talk about that. Too. I would love for you to talk about that. And before though, um, I would, I would, love to explore this idea, of. Awareness and how you mentioned it slows down the day to be intentional. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. How? Why? Okay. So I can just say my own makeover. Before, when I was Susie Fashion Editor, and I hate talking about myself in the third person, but I thought that would be helpful <laughs> to imagine me that way. Yeah. I would wake up and I would just check the boxes. Okay, I have to do this. I have to do that TV show. I have to shoot 50 people in five hours. I have to, you know, and it was crazy. And then I would come home and I would lay on my bed and turn on the television and not want to talk to anybody and want to go to sleep. And where did my day go? I have no idea. It went by in a blip. Yes. But now I am, I do this technique called RCM where I rise, I click the Unplug Meditation app, meditate for 10 minutes, and then get out of bed. So RCM, rise, click, meditate. And it's like I'm slowing everything down. What do I want to do today? What am I grateful for? Who do I want to be? And then I'm just present with my breath. 
experiencing the sensation of breathing and I'm consciously slowing myself down because I move 200 miles per hour. That's my natural state is to move very quickly. So this has really helped me be more present and embodied while I am doing things as opposed to the old me who would just be like, oh my God, I had that whole thing gap, but I have no idea. It was just, I was in it, but I wasn't ever in it. So now I'm landing in the moments that I'm actually in and I'm present for my life as opposed to not being present at all and then missing out on everything that's important. So am, am, I right, <clears throat> am I right to think about like the students who are squirrely, who are who have got a ton of energy in them, who are, you know, har- it's it's more challenging for teachers to have them focus in a forty-five minute class period. How would you how would you help a teacher who's got yeah who's got a class like that? Like what, what how can they incorporate <clears throat> without it taking over the entire curriculum? And I, I guess attached to this question, Susie, is look. Schools are places of learning, mm-hmm. and learning is challenging, and learning is not passive, and learning involves sweat, work, you know, and focus and dedication. So, what also can you say to teachers who are going to be skeptical to this idea of, oh, what, what, you know, what this podcast is really about is let's inc- let's incorporate mindfulness, um, half an hour of meditation in here, and get to fifteen minutes of curriculum. That can't, that doesn't work for yes. me. So, how, how? Okay, let me clarify for those people that David G. says this great. He's one of our teachers at Unplug. And he says this. When he goes into ashrams, he calls it meditation. When he goes into schools, he calls it mindfulness. And when he teaches cops and he teaches the military, he calls it tactical breath. So for anyone, and it's the exact same thing that he's teaching to all three people. You're answering a question that I'm so glad you're answering, which is the difference between mindfulness, meditation, and, It's a labeling situation. Okay, so let's cut the labels and let's get to the foundation of what this thing does, okay? And we're going to call it a tactical breath because we're talking to the skeptic who doesn't want to do meditation or mindfulness. Tactical breathing is a box breath that's used by police officers and it's used by the U.S. military. And what it does is it helps you focus and it helps you calm down. So two things that happen. When you are in that stressful state and you know you have a tell, you feel yourself being activated. When you slow down your breath, you send a signal to your brain that everything's okay even when it is not. So Austin, who is my, you know, hyper, you know, wants to do everything, can't sit still kind of guy. He's 18 now and he's still that way. Does the tactical breath and it is the 16 second breath. And not only that, Austin now teaches kids in schools the 16 second breath sometimes. He's a peer mentor of of, of mindfulness or yeah. tactical breathing. Well, he was trained in mindfulness and he went into some schools and he taught them how to do the 16 second breath, Amazing. which is called box breathing also. So what you do is very simple is You basically close your eyes, and you can try it. I'll walk you through it. Walk me through it, please. And you breathe in through your nose to the count of four. Two, three, four, and hold your breath for four seconds. Two, three, four, and an audible exhale out. Just like, let's hear it. Three, four, and hold. Two, three, four. One more time. Breathe in through the nose for four. Hold your breath for four. Audible exhale. And open your eyes. 
it just brings you back into alignment. So it helps with focus, it helps with anxiety, and it also helps with sleep. Oh yeah, I would love to do this before before going to sleep. Yeah. In fact, even lying in bed, right? You can do this. And yeah. You can do this. You can do this in the car. You can do this after somebody yells at you for having a puddle in front of your house. It's, you know. We have we have <laughs> on the app we have an entire section for SAT and ACT testing that we did with this company called Test Prep, and one of the meditations on there is called Sixty Second Superpower Focus, and it is a sixty second meditation that helps you connect with your breath so that you can not be in thinking anxious mode and bomb your test, but be present and slow it down so you can really focus on what you're doing. Anxiety is just so incredibly um, prevalent today. And it's it's with kids, with testing, with test taking. I, I think that just clicked with me, right? What you just said is, and, and, and really this is a wonderful example of how you can apply meditation practices, tactical breathing practices, mindfulness practices, all the same in your classroom without it taking like when I when I talk with with teacher groups about relational teaching, mm-hmm. and inevitably I get asked, so what? Wh- how do you? How much time is this going to take? Like, is this like third period Thursdays we should do relationships? And it's like, no, it's actually it could take ten seconds to help uh, improve the relational ethos of a, of a student teacher relationship. Just a sidebar conversation in the hallway. You know, hey, I noticed that this that you said this in class yesterday, and I remember it today, and it was important enough that I want to share it with you that that was a really good statement. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. And it matters. It's micro moments. And I think that this is applicable to what you're, what you're talking about. It's mm-hmm. this idea that, you know, don't be threatened by the term or by this idea that suddenly the classroom becomes an ashram for 45 minutes. It takes a minute, three minutes yes. before taking your big test or before going into a new concept um, in the curriculum, right? It's we, we suggest three to five minutes for kids. One, three, five. Right. Nothing longer. Cause right you're going to lose them. Right. And if the science backs up, which it does, the alleviation of fear, the growth of the executive functioning, so thinking, organizing thoughts, assimilating thoughts, making thoughts, you know, make sense before you output them onto, say, an essay or a test. I mean, I I only see this as win, 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 win. Yes. Right? Yes. A question that I've got, which which I was thinking about earlier, there's something you said that made made me think this. It was around the time that you're talking about time slowing down when you're intentional. Mm-hmm. There are those who believe that, or who think that meditation, mindfulness, is a very selfish act. Actually, it is all about the self, and it's 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 and implied in that cynicism, or implied in that you know, is that that it's disconnecting. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, reach teach talk. We're we're all about relationships. We're all mm-hmm. about how you reach each other and how you can teach each other through. In real life, you know, contact, connection, mm-hmm. built on trust and all that. What can you say to that approach of thinking, which is, you know, this is a going inward. Like if I were in a classroom, how, how does all of 25 of us in the classroom meditating together connect us still? Okay. Well, let's say little Joey in the classroom is acting up and misbehaving. And I'm the teacher and he's worked my nerve and now I'm going to scorch the entire village. So not only is little Joey getting in <laughs> We've trouble. We've never felt that way as teachers but before. <laughs> the whole classroom so is good. now, I'm mad at all of them. Yes. Because they're all him. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> all him. But yet, if I was the teacher and I had taken a moment to slow it down, I would actually be able to pause before I react. And so I would respond 
instead. That is the gift of the practice. When you don't meditate, you're more likely to scorch the village. And when you do meditate, you pause, you breathe, and you respond. You have the space between the activation of, oh my gosh, this kid's driving me crazy. Sit down. And you know what? This kid must have not had a good breakfast this morning. He's hyped up. Why don't I just tell him to take a walk around the quad and then I can help everybody else. And when he's ready, he can come back in. I love that. Finding finding power in the pause. Yep. And, and that's what you're talking about. It's like, okay, so Joey's acting up. Scorched earth, you want to just flame everybody in the classroom and start all over again with a new class. You know, let it be September all over again. Yeah. Um, but really, it's just take a step, breathe. And teachers, this is hard though, right? Because in the, in the school day, as a teacher, finding time to even go to the bathroom is really, really challenging, right? right? Because you've always got the kids coming in and out. You've Mm -hmm. always got, hey, got a second, I need this help with, you know, and you're always putting your attention, actually, you're always putting your attention outward. You're always putting it outside of yourself. So what's encouraging, and what you just shared, that example, Susie, is it takes just a few breaths. You know, Joey's already got the class stirring up. Five more seconds of them all being stirred up is not going to make any difference. It's already kind of falling apart. And it will fall apart much worse if you're not intentional with how you respond, yes. right? Because this is really actually a very um, kind of a pedagogical or t- instructional approach that you're talking mm-hmm. about here is yeah. before letting the, yourself show your true feelings, um, take a step back, find power in the pause, and y- you, you'll think with more clarity, your executive functioning will be kicked into gear and you will have a tactical way of having Joey handling the Joey situation. Yes, we also have this thing that we have on the Unplug app called Meditation in a Jar. And it is something that I learned from someone, I don't know exactly where it came from. But basically, we take a mason jar and we put glitter at the bottom and then water and then we you know, put the cap on. And we show kids. We shake it up and we show them that the jar is filled with glitter and we tell them this is what your brain is like when you're feeling angry or mad. But if you stop and you take a breath, I say, notice the jar and what do you see? And they'll say, it's becoming more clear. You can see the water again. Yes. Everything's at the bottom of the jar. Yes. So we say that the jar represents your mind and the glitter represents your thoughts and your feelings. And if you stop and you pause, everything's still there. It's the same thing. It just settles and becomes a little more clear. That is incredible. I love that visual so much. It's not mine. It is someone else's. But we do. We Susan Kaiser Greenland turned me on to it. It's not hers either. But someone else has done it. And there's so many of them. But it's an easy thing for teachers to do in the classroom with kids too. And then they keep it on their desk. I love that so much because as a teacher, the ideal classroom is not necessarily like the classroom where everybody is nice and kind and, and, and does all the work they want them to do and everything is kind of vanilla that way. Like, you know, no respect for individuality. But the ideal classroom is actually one where the, the students have clear, clear thinking clarity of thought, receptiveness to ideas, receptiveness to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, that might answer my question a little bit in, in, in a way, is this idea of how meditation and mindfulness, how intentionality can 
help connect a classroom, actually, a, a, a group of 25 people plus one adult. Because if you're thinking clearly, then your, your blinders are kind of broadened, right? Mm-hmm. And you're able to then be more open to the people around you. And w- isn't that the desired hope for any teacher running an optimal classroom? Yes. There's a woman, her name is Amy Sandler, and she teaches the Search Inside Yourself Google program that they teach at Google. And she does these meditations before meetings. So you sit there and you just center in yourself and you realize that nobody likes meetings, okay? Nobody ever wants to be in a meeting. But you think about the fact that nobody wants to be in this meeting, including yourself, and that everybody has, everyone has something important to say. And you give yourself some space and permission to actually listen and not have to be the speaker and be open to what people have to say. And that just changes the whole vibe of the meeting. And I, mean, I love that. I love that so much. And also that's an app, you know, that's a, a real world application to the for workplace. Kids too. And, for, and yes, classrooms. Bridging, and, and if we can teach kids, you know, if we can teach this young generation that approach to communication, the listening, the it's okay to be quiet because actually just listening is an act is is a, is a um, an action in itself. If the, if we have a generation that's going to grow up with that as their foundation, that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. Right. Um, we had a guest on earlier who was talking about a program called Council, which is uh, this idea of everybody talking. Only the only person talking is the one who's holding like the coffee cup, you know, the coffee mug, or the tribal stick, or the mm-hmm. rock, or whatever it is that you, you decide. And it's it's similar in that um, that way, and, and, and it makes meetings more effective. It makes this it, it kind of gets rid of some of that shaking shaking up glitter in in all of our minds in a meeting when we're not certain if we're being listened to. We're not certain if the conversation is is receptive to everybody's thinking. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's wonderful uh, application of it. Is there any? I'm thinking you're you're the mom of three sons. Are they all doing practicing mindfulness in certain ways, or is this something so that I works did, with some? I did put them all into the Unplug Kids program until I dissolved that program, <laughs> and the I dissolved <laughs> I dissolved it because the kids really didn't want to be there. The parents were making them go, and I thought it was the greatest thing that I ever did for my kids but I also felt like I want to create a space where people want to be there so we decided to film all the things that we were doing in the classes on the app so kids could do it on their own time and that was very helpful Um, but they did get the foundation of the power of the pause and how they don't need to react to everything so real world problem would be and you know my son is playing xbox and i'll be like turn the xbox off and i'll take the clicker and he'll freak out and want to punch me in the face right like animal response yes right yeah so now mindful communication five minute warning i'm turning off the television whether you're in the middle of a game or not and then five minutes comes he's still in the middle of the game and i turn it off Normally, he would be very angry and yell, but now he's just like, (sighs) 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 and then he comes down and walks out. Tactical breathing. Yes. (laughs) Tactical breath. Yes. This is wonderful. Um, I'm thinking about how there is so much hope 
in, and, and I think there's such a, there's such an interesting, I don't know, maybe this is grace or something, because you think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when technology really began to seep into, well, when it became on our palms, and, mm-hmm. and when technology began to seep into our every waking moment. Right. And so we were saddled with, with this, uh, the increasing need to, to, you know, pay attention to technology. But it, around the same time came this, not a pushback, it's a, it's, it's a way of accepting what modern life is today, mm-hmm. which comes in the form of exactly what you're doing. It's like you captured this moment and you felt it instinctively, like this is important. Um, taking time to, to reflect, taking time to not think, taking time to allow our thoughts to just wander and to do the bicep curl and, and, and to have it be this kind of response to otherwise what's always just attention going outwards and being sucked into the device. So if there's any last thing you can say about what you've learned, Susie, about the, through this experience of starting Unplug, through this experience of working with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people and now mm-hmm. reaching out to hundreds of thousands of millions with the app, what, what, what's your biggest takeaway in the past 10 years of, of, of building this company, the biggest reward for you, maybe the biggest challenge also, mm-hmm. and ultimately what's your biggest hope for the future of mindfulness in workplaces and schools um, and in society at large? So when I first started this, I was you know, building this company and I felt very possessive of it. And I've learned a lot since since that. I was almost hoarding meditation, and that was not what I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be sharing meditation. And some guy came in and told me I should franchise it. And I was like, wow, that would be just so much better to just teach everybody how to meditate and let them open up their own studios and let it be free. And so I go home, I tell Mark, we're franchising. And Mark's like, we're not going to franchise, <laughs> of course. But the truth is, is the more that I thought about it, the more I realized, yeah, that's actually what I do want to do. So now we're training teachers. So we have a teacher training program where we have people flying in from London, flying in from Japan, flying in from Brazil, and they're taking our teacher training program and opening up their own studios. And for me, that's so rewarding. It's the ripple of it's not just us. You know, we're two studios in Los Angeles and an app, which is great, so we can reach many. And yes, we do go to different companies. But the fact that now there's a place in London called Levitate, there's a place in Japan called Medicha, and there are peeps that are now rippling it out to their communities and it's growing. I just feel really lucky that I get to be part of the movement that makes people feel better. And that is why I started it, and that is why I'm doing it. And the more people doing this, I think the better the world will be. So in closing on my side, yes, I really think it. we owe it to our children to learn how to meditate and stop this crisis of stress and anxiety, which is everywhere. It needs to end. And it's, and it's optional. We don't have to be stressed out world. We, yeah, we're going to have stress, but we need to learn how to deal with that. And it's so easy. And it's so easy, and it does not take so much time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a daily practice. It's a, you know five minutes, ten minutes. And if you're a student in, in a school and you feel like, oh, my gosh, I know that I've got two tests coming up, and I know that I've got this concept that I'm having a hard time mastering, 
take some breaths. Do the do the uh, the four second, four second, four seconds. Sixteen seconds to come. It's and on the app. It's awesome, <laughs> and, and and it's on the app. And yeah. and I'm hoping schools too really take a close look at the website for Unplugged because these this app is something that it costs very little, mm-hmm. yet the effect. I mean, you were just giving some great examples earlier about the effect that it can have on on even on disciplinary processes. I mean, I, I could see like you know this is the way we can include five minutes of, of meditation on the Unplug app with students who mm-hmm. are, and because let's face it, so many behavior issues come from students who are bored. You know, they'll say, oh my God, I'm so bored. I'm just going, oh my God. Anything to get sent to the principal's office yeah. so we can get out of this classroom, right? Um, if we can kind of, this is a way of acknowledging that. It's part of the school dynamic, and, and, if, and this could be a balm, this mm-hmm. idea of, this making it ubiquitous, making the um, the power of the pause, making the applied intentions of a five minute meditate meditation is it, or breathing exercise makes a hu- could make a huge difference positively in a school climate and a school ethos. So I'm just so grateful to have had you on this episode, Susie, because it does give me hope about a way of thinking and a way of practicing that takes very little time, very little expenditure. Uh, you know, money expenditure, yet can 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 shape this young generation that if we think we've had it bad, I mean, we are kind of internet, like, you know, half our lives, half my life is before the internet and half my life's after the internet, and this is a challenging world right now. Mm-hmm. For me, grappling with that, these kids growing up are growing up in a world where they've known nothing different, and it's only going to intensify, I imagine, mm-hmm. um, just the, 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 the distractions, the inability to focus. So, this is an approach that if schools can incorporate them, if families can, if workplaces can, it will make for a better future for all of us. So thank you for being a guest Thank today. you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Damon. If you'd like to recommend a guest for a future episode, you can send your suggestion or questions to nat at reachacademics.com.